All right. Now I have to say, I'm going to steal one of Bob's lines. I'm so excited to do this message today. And uh, I am honored to get the opportunity. It's kind of cool for, for Bob to be doing something for some congregants that, that we have, uh, Elizabeth and Stephen, to, to be marrying them. Their wedding started like 15 minutes ago, so that's super exciting. And then it's an awesome opportunity that I take very seriously to be able to get up here in front of you guys today. And... Um, But I'm just going to start by being transparent and saying as a woman and as a mom, I feel like I always have to be prepared for any possible scenario. So if you know me at all, you know I could be a crier. So we've got some some tissue up here. If you know me a little bit better, you know that I take insulin and sometimes I'm concerned about having a low blood sugar. So I've got the glucose tabs. You also know that I'm over 40 So I've got the reading glasses, (laughs) and you also probably know I'm over 50, so I have hot flashes from time to time. (laughs) So all kidding aside, if you see me starting to sweat and I go for the towel, it's a real thing. It really is a real thing. So, okay, good. I wanted to start with something funny, something that you guys would enjoy, because, you know, when you're diving into a teaching on revenge... There are limited opportunities to be funny during that. Um, To recap, for those of you that have been following us the last several weeks, you know that we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, If you're new here, if you've missed the last several weeks, we're on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're at a point, Jesus is speaking to, to his followers and addressing believers. This is who he's speaking to on the, at this time. And he starts with the Beatitudes, which are the blessed ours, which addresses our interactions with God. And then he moves on in a very specific order and addresses our interactions with each other. So it's important to remember as I studied this that, that Jesus is addressing us on a very personal level. Our interactions with um, us as believers, with other believers, and us as believers with people who are not believers. From everything that I looked at and read and studied on, this wasn't meant to be in a corporate sense. This is how the entire country or your community is to act because not everybody is a believer. And this is where our opportunity comes in, in our personal interactions. So again, Jesus is addressing the spirit of the law Well, without disregarding the law, the spirit of the law for us as believers and our interactions with each other. This is supposed to address our daily lives, our hearts, and our attitudes. So we're going to start with Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So in that first verse, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. In this instance, Jesus is referring when he says, you have heard it said, and Bob has taught on this several times, it means that he's referring back to something that's been taught previously. And what Jesus is referring to is Old Testament mosaic legislation. And that's probably going to be the fanciest term I use during this message. And that just simply means that God downloaded 
to Moses the law, and Moses shared that law with the children of Israel. And the intent was that the judges would take that law and they would use that to enact justice. Use it as how to determine what was a just way to treat a crime. Our scripture reference for this, our Old Testament scripture reference, there are them in um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, but we're using Exodus today. Exodus 21, 23 through 25 But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, when we hear that, we're like, wow, that's okay. It's pretty clear what he's talking about here. But where some of the problem comes in is that people interpret that to mean that is the minimum that needs to happen when God's intent was to control the excesses of the time. Now, we believe wrongly. When we see the excesses that happen today, it wasn't like that. Oh, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It's not true. It's our human nature to be excessive in what we consider is due to us. This mosaic legislation introduced the principle of equity and equality. So when you've heard the the saying, the punishment should fit the crime, that's exactly what we're talking about. And again, it wasn't meant for individuals to go around exacting retribution. It was meant for the judicial process to use that. God's intent in controlling these excesses also addresses our misconception that we're entitled in that way. And Jesus addresses the fact that we confuse revenge for justice. Revenge is one-sided and motivated motivated by self-interest, and justice is impartial. An example of this in Genesis 4:23 through 24 Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. If that doesn't sound like justice, that's because it's not. He clearly elevated his needs, his need for revenge, so far above anything that made sense or anything that was reasonable. The Pharisees ignored the heart and the spirit of the law at the time and interpreted it as a minimum standard and a personal duty. The truth is, is we cannot be trusted to serve real justice. An example I thought about, many of you that live here in this area may be familiar with a few years ago, there was a guy that was driving on E-470. And he's driving, and somebody cuts him off. Now, I don't know if they cut him off on purpose. I don't know if they just didn't see his car. I don't know. And quite honestly, he probably didn't know either. But in his mind, he was all riled up that some injustice had been done to him. Maybe he thought, there's no police here. Nobody's going to make this person pay for what they've just done to me. So it's up to me 
to make sure that I get justice. So his idea of justice was to speed up, pull in front of them, and slam on the brakes. So his justice was the fact that these people were not able to respond quickly enough to stop their car. They slammed into him, and they died. So here's a man, and I don't care how angry somebody is on a day-to-day basis, I feel certain that he didn't wake up thinking, today I'm going to be the cause of somebody's death. In a split second, he allowed that flesh to well up in him and to elevate himself above all others and his need for justice, which was really revenge, self-motivated, take over. And in that moment caused a terrible tragedy. If he's not a believer, then maybe it was just that, that he felt like he needed to get justice. But we as believers find ourselves in that same situation. And when we feel that it's our responsibility, that means we're not trusting God to give us justice. And we as believers, if we trust God with our salvation, then we absolutely can trust him for justice, for him to know. It's God's job through authority he has placed in our community, in our world. And if those authorities fail, because those authorities are men, men and women, if they fail, then ultimately God will take justice on himself directly. We don't know all sides. We never can. We don't have the luxury like you do in the movies where you see everything that happened and you know the whole story and you could be rooting for justice. But nobody has that in real life. Nobody has that in real life. The only, the only one that knows all the sides is God. We have to accept that sometimes justice may not be what we expect or what we think should happen. You know, I can think of more than once really, where justice has ended up being where God has delivered somebody and they've reached a state where they have true compassion and empathy and regret over what has happened, shame over what has happened. And that is a much more powerful force than somebody getting a ticket or a fine. God's conviction, the Holy Spirit's conviction on our hearts and those things is a powerful, powerful place to be. If we are due justice, God will take care of that. And if we are not due justice, if we are wrong because we don't know all the sides, then the fact that we are willing and prepared to allow that to be God's job protects us from making a terrible mistake. Have you ever thought somebody did something only to find out you had it all wrong and then been thankful that you didn't act on that? Take yourselves to um, Moses and the children of Israel when they're fleeing Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And they get to the Red Sea and the you know, they're all freaking out and they're like, Moses, why did you bring us here out into the desert to die and What's going to happen? And Moses says in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Now, what the children of Israel didn't know is that things were about to literally get biblical, right? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, could you, they totally did not see that coming. I am very, very certain of that. And Jesus is explaining that to people here in the Sermon on the Mount, even though this is something that God has played out in their lives previously. Jesus is asking us to die to ourselves and our immediate need to defend when wrong is done to us, to check our attitude really where we are. Are we elevating our need to defend ourselves above where God is in our lives, where God's standard to that is in our lives? The next verse, verse 39 reads, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now I want to note, again for context's sake, that this is a human evildoer. God is very clear in the Bible that we are to resist Satan, the evil one. Okay, so we're just so everybody's clear on on that part. Um, Jesus is, is telling us to rid ourselves of the spirit of retaliation, to repay evil with evil. Now at the time, slapping was, and I mean, I say at the time, but really being slapped would be humiliating today as well. Um, but then it had like an extra uh, significance, so to speak. And it was a blow to ego and to self, not necessarily meant to be injure, you know, injure somebody. It was supposed to be a blow to the ego. And Jesus is asking us to become indifferent to self, to resist slapping back, to reach a state when we cannot be humiliated because we place no one above God. And that's difficult. Now, the Apostle Paul, who turned his whole life around to preach the gospel message, to start these churches, to encourage his people, he hit a time where people start talking smack about him. They're like, Apollos is a better teacher and, and this and that. And think about how devoted he was to preaching that gospel message. But he still was human. Would that not kind of get your blood going to hear those things? Yet he came out with 1 Corinthians 4.3 in his letter to the church to Corinth I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. That's commitment. That is commitment. Paul understood the goal wasn't for people to hold him in high esteem. The goal was for people to hear the message of Jesus, regardless of how that happened. And he really kept, he really kept that to his heart and I don't know, obviously, I wasn't able to talk to him personally. I would imagine that was a heart and an attitude check. Because again, he was human. And that had to have hurt. But he was able, because he was aware, to go and, and tell them, I'm not putting what you think above me, above God. I know what's important. And I know what God thinks of me. And that's the most important thing. Resisting an evil person gives them power, authority, and longevity in our lives. Now, the only 
personal experience that I could think that really illustrates this super well for me is the fact that I've gone through a divorce. Now, most everybody knows this is a second marriage, both for Bob and I. And when you go through a divorce, usually somebody feels like somebody's done something wrong. (laughs) Um, And very often, both people feel like they've been wronged in some way. And I will tell you, um, it was difficult. I, I wish I could say, hey, from the very beginning, I was live and let live, and it wasn't like that at all, okay? I had some very detailed and extensive um, rehearsals of revenge scenarios in my mind, <laughs> all right? And I'm just being real about that. And I want to say it was probably a solid year before God tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you tired of this yet? I'm sure my friends were. You know, for a year, all I could ever talk about was what was going on in my life. Forget anybody else because, you know, it was all about me at that time. And uh, I really thought about it. And I thought, you know, I need to be prepared and willing to forgive for whatever I think was done to me, real or perceived, I need to be able to forgive it because I'm never moving on otherwise. And so I did. And I did it, I did it in a way where I, I spoke to my ex-husband and said, I don't want this contentious relationship between us. I don't want this. It's exhausting. And I would be lying if I said I never struggled with it after that. You know, my daughter at the time was three. She's 21 now. And and God wisely gave me the vision of what it would be like to spend that many years angry and plotting revenge on somebody. So every time I felt that well up in me, because I was aware, because God had laid it out for me, I was able to check my attitude and really say to myself, is this my responsibility? And no, it was not. And that was a gigantic weight off of my shoulders to know that it's not my responsibility to make sure that somebody receives justice. And that really, I should be hoping that that justice is that that person is delivered from whatever issue or situation that they are dealing with and that they are able to have an amazing and wonderful life and serve out their purpose that God has for them. It's it's hard to remember, but once God tells you it, you can check yourself. You can check your attitude. You can check your heart. I read a really interesting article. This is a confirmation, I believe, that God gave me that this was a message for me to teach. Is that all of a sudden, I start seeing all, like in my email, I'm getting articles on revenge. I'm like, what is that all about? Yeah, I know, right? I'm like, that's, I, I don't think I'm super revengey. I try not to be, but, uh, but I, I, re- I read this article. It was a great article. Um, and one of the lines, I, I wrote it down because I, I thought it was great. It's a good, a good thing for us to use when we are acknowledging that we're starting to struggle with this and, 
and we need to check our attitude. It was don't rehearse it or nurse it. And I thought that's great. And then I would add the line, release it, because it's not our responsibility. In Isaiah, there's a scripture I really, I love, Isaiah 56. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And you're like, Gabe, how can you love that scripture? That's horrible. But when God tells you, I've got you. When he tells you that, you can feel confident that it's going to be okay. We know it's going to be okay. It's not like we were like, hey, I think this might be a fun thing to try. God tells us. So it's not left up for us to try to figure, hey, do, you know, he tells us. Jesus is asking us to die to ourselves and our immediate need for revenge and retaliation. The next verse, verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now I'm going to lump this one kind of with 41, but I'm going to start it separate just again, separate to give it context. In this context, when it talks about shirt and coat, some versions say tunic and uh, cloak, you know, whatever you're saying. It's talking about an inner garment and an outer garment. And so the custom was that you could sue for an inner garment, but not an outer garment for, for good reason. You know, if it was in the literal sense, people would be walking around half naked. And I, I don't believe that was the intent. The intent is look at how you... Um, Esteem yourself in response, in respect to your legal rights, demanding our legal rights, demanding that we do the least amount necessary. Now, last week, Pastor Bob taught an oath. And in oaths, we talked about living in an upright character and that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. But we also addressed the fact that we struggle with, as human beings, wanting to find the loophole that is out there, right? The loophole so we can get out of some of those responsibilities. And in here, it's almost the opposite where we're looking to follow the letter of the law because that's the least that's required. So again, it's a natural human state because of the fall of man. That's, that's where we're at and that's why we need God and we need Jesus to be able to write us so that we are not spiraling down constantly obsessed with ourselves. Responding in kindness or in an unusual way to somebody who's oppressing you, whether or not it is, we're not even talking about necessarily an illegal way because this was you know, this is talking about if somebody's suing you. The next verse, um, I'm just going to go ahead and put that up. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. You know, this is referring to the Roman soldiers. They had the legal right to enlist people to carry their stuff from point A to point B. It wasn't illegal. Probably wasn't really fair, you know. And I'm sure that most people felt that that was injustice. But if you're willing to say, I'm not only going to do the least amount required of me, that I can, in a way that is unusual, 
respond to this. I can respond outside of my fleshly nature. In Matthew 5.16, I truly believe that um, these are practical applications of this verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus, when he's speaking to them, he's not saying that we should disregard when somebody who is weaker or somebody who is at risk has something being done to them, something that's illegal being done to them. He's not saying that at all. We are responsible for protecting those people. He is talking about, in a legal sense here, something legally that is being, um, I want to say demanded of somebody, but again, it was legal. Do we set ourselves above that? That somehow, again, our needs and our feelings and the fact that we feel it's unfair That's above all else. It's above how we react to it. When we have the opportunity in that moment to say we are willing and prepared to go above and beyond what is asked for us. And sometimes we get that opportunity to go above and beyond. And it is so polarizing and it's so unusual. It's like laser beams come down on you and people are like, what is up with this person? You know, they're... They're doing something that is being required of them in such a way they don't even seem like they're mad, of it, mad about it and they're going above and beyond. And that's an opportunity to highlight Jesus in our lives. It's an opportunity because it is very unusual. It is absolutely contrary to our nature to do that kind of thing. But it's an opportunity. Again, Jesus is asking us to die to ourselves in regard to injustices done to us and demands made on us. The next verse, verse 40, uh, I can't read here, 42. Give to, I know, that's where the reading glasses would normally come in. Uh, Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, initially, when I'm reading this and I'm studying on this, I kind of felt like this verse doesn't seem like it belongs because it doesn't really seem to me that it has anything to do with revenge or, or serving justice or anything like that. But studying a little bit more, it's in there because again, it addresses our attitude towards self, our attitude towards elevating our possessions above the needs of other people. Every single one of these verses really addresses how we elevate our personal position above everything else, above God. When we should be saying, okay, I am not going to um, allow myself to be humiliated by this person because really what this person thinks of me is nothing compared to what God thinks of me. God loves me and that's what matters. As we talk about possessions, do we ever look at it in the respect that, hey, why should I have to give up something to somebody else to help them and then leave myself short? Now, I want to be clear. I don't believe that Jesus is saying that we are not to enjoy the fruits of our labors. I don't believe Jesus is saying that we can't have houses. You know, we we should be, you know, living in a tent somewhere. I don't think that's what he's saying. But I also know that Jesus didn't, set caps or limits on what we are to give 
and how much we're to help other people. Jesus forces us to check our hearts and make that decision ourselves. Now the example that came to mind, and I think many, many people can relate to this, is you know, when you're first starting out in your life, you know, you've got a job and you're making a little bit of money, in many cases a very little bit of money. You know, maybe you have an apartment, maybe you have a car that works 50% of the time, you know. Uh, you've got a pair of sandals you like and a pair of tennis shoes. And then you get a raise or you get another job and you think to yourself, I'm going to pay off my debt. I'm going to help my family. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But the next thing you know, and this is the insidious thing that happens so often, you're up here with your better money and all of a sudden your minimum standards of living have changed entirely. Okay. You've got a big house. You've got multiple cars, maybe. And again, it's not that these things are bad, but it's we need to check our attitude as those things are happening. Is this become so much of a focus for us that we have lost all um, awareness of those around us that we love? You know, is, have we become so desensitized then to everything else the, that the idea of having to lower our standard of living to any degree seems like it's totally impossible and unnecessary? That's a difficult one. That's a very, very, very difficult one. Jesus had a home and he lived simply, but he gives us the very difficult task of deciding what that means for us, where we fall in that. Jesus is asking us to die to ourselves and stop idolizing our possessions. I'd like to go ahead and ask the worship team to go ahead and head up. I wanted to close with the scripture in Romans. Again, this is the apostle Paul. I wanna say, I like all the apostles, but Paul's a favorite, again, a favorite. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, as I start reading that, I'm sure it's like, Live at peace with everyone. Check. Okay, I get where you're going. Don't take revenge. Awesome, awesome. Feed him. Give him a drink. Heat burning coals on his head. I mean, wait a second, right? So, um, so this is where maybe this teaching can be the most difficult. This is where I believe 100% because we are human, every single person in this room probably has had a wicked thought about somebody else, right? Whether or not it is, again, a real or perceived injustice that you have endured from somebody. You know, maybe your wicked thought came from an envy, a position of envy. That person has abs. I deserve abs. Why would they have abs? They eat whatever they want. And then you're wishing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? So that's a funny example, but it's, it's truthful. It's truthful. And then that person, 
that you had that wicked thought about treats you with compassion and love, generosity. And when that happens, then you all absolutely know what that means to have burning coals heaped on your head. That That is a hard place to be, to recognize that sometimes in this scenario, sometimes we're the bad guy. I hate that. I hate that. But that's why we've got Jesus. Because with Jesus, we can absolutely be victorious over this. We can only be perfect through his work and us. And that just means to check our hearts and our attitudes each and every day about our feelings towards other people, whether or not we're holding ourselves and our needs in higher esteem than what God's goal is for us. And it is a much better place to be to leave justice to him and just say, I trust you. I trust you with everything that I am. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna lead us just in a short prayer about that. And once the prayer is done, we're gonna move into communion. Uh, Melania and myself are gonna serve communion up front here. We've got wine and we've got uh, bread and crackers, uh, gluten-free crackers. If you wanna serve yourself or your family, you can do it at the crosses where we've got juice and bread and crackers. And we've got the prayer team in the back. If you have somebody in your life, and often we think it's, it's somebody that's on the peripheral, often it's people within our own families that we are harboring this desire for revenge because we feel something has been done to us. And again, real or perceived, it doesn't matter. It's not our job. So we're going to pray about that. And then right when we finish praying, we You guys can start moving into communion or to prayer. You can sit, you can stand, do whatever God's leading you to do. Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing this message today, God. We know when we're able to hand that responsibility over to you, confident that whatever should be done will be done. That leaves us in a place of freedom that we that we want, we desire. We desire that freedom, God. And we are just asking Holy Spirit to help guide us each and every day so we don't give in, that we don't go give in to those lies, those fleshly desires for revenge or retribution, God. We love you and we trust you with everything we are. In your name, Jesus, amen. you have.
want to be close to us. You want us to be able to open our ears and hear what you have for us, Father. So we just thank you for falling in this place, God. And we just pray a blessing on everyone as they go about their weekend. Father, we pray a blessing over the upcoming week and safety and provision for everyone, Father. We just pray that everyone comes back together in your name again next week, God. We love you and we thank you for everything that you do for us, God.